Uh, well, welcome today. Glad to have you here. Uh, you know, if you were here in January, uh, we've invited uh, many of you have joined us on a journey through the Bible, reading through the Bible in a year. We've been doing it with uh, the Bible Project, and it's just been great to be walking through. But if you've been doing that, you know that about 10 days ago, we finished the Old Testament and we started the New Testament. And so uh, whether you've joined us or not, I just want to invite you if, you, if you haven't joined us, and you say, well, you know, the Old Testament is long and, and kind of complicated in some places. I don't know. But, but the New Testament I'd be interested in, I want to say to you, you should join. You just go back and take you about an hour this afternoon to catch up, uh, read through the first part of Matthew. And then this fall, join us. And together, we'll read the rest of the way through the New Testament. And we'll be done by December 31st. And it'll be a great experience to just walk together through it. So... If you're doing it, keep going. If you haven't been doing it, but you want to join us, this is just a natural time uh, to join us uh, as we do that. Well, we are in a series about spiritual formation. And since this is the weekend before school starts, and since it's a family service, I want to spend a few minutes, not long, just a few minutes today, talking about how to develop spiritual formation in the lives of our children and our grandchildren and our youth and our young adults. How do we instill faith in the next generation? How do we help them find a vibrant faith in Jesus Christ? You know, growing up uh, in my family, we had a garden, a big garden out in the backyard, and we grew all kinds of vegetables, peas and carrots and corn and potatoes. And we also grew cucumbers, and the cucumbers would grow in these big leafy patches along the ground. And I remember that we would get like little cucumbers from that, like good for making pickles and that type of thing. But I remember one year that my dad actually built a greenhouse attached to the side of our house. And it wasn't big, but in that greenhouse, my parents began to grow cucumbers there. And the greenhouse had a number of things going for it. First, of course, was the heat that was generated through the, the glass on the side of the greenhouse. But then secondly, they, put, they built uh, trellises for those cucumbers to grow up. So instead of sort of growing all along the ground, they began to grow up these trellises. And then the third thing is that they began to prune the leaves on those uh, cucumbers quite aggressively. So that if you walked into that little greenhouse, you would see these tiny little vines wrapped around these strings going up six, seven, eight feet high with only a few leaves on the way. But the cucumbers that grew were just massive. I mean, we had so many cucumbers out of that little greenhouse that we couldn't eat them all. And my mom used to give them... Um, to my brother and I, and we put them in our little wagon when we were kids, and we'd go door to door and sell them for some spending money that uh, we would use uh, at the corner store. Fascinating. Same seeds, same people planting the seeds, but totally different outcome. And that difference was because of this greenhouse effect, this combination of these different factors that help these cucumbers just grow like crazy. And the question we want to talk about today is this. Is there a greenhouse effect when it comes to spiritual formation for our children, for our next generation? Obviously, God has to work in their hearts. Obviously, it's God who, who makes the cucumbers grow. It's God who, who changes people's hearts and lives. We can't do that. And of course, uh, it, and, and of course they have to make the choice for themselves. Uh, every person before God has to make that choice about wh whether they're going to follow God or not. But are there things that we can do to kind of develop that 
that ecosystem, that, that climate, that greenhouse effect in the lives of our children and our, and our grandchildren, of the youth and the young adults? And the answer to that is yes, there is. And um, the Bible gives us a model for what that looks like. And the research uh, shows, as it always does, that what the Bible shows us is the way to go. The model is found in the life of the prophet Samuel. Samuel, if you're not familiar with him, he became one of the greatest uh, spiritual leaders in the life of the people of Israel. He was effective, godly leader, and uh, he did not just simply appear on the scene. The story of his life is one of this sort of greenhouse effect in his life that caused him to grow to be this man of God. And his story, if you're not familiar with it, begins with his parents. His mother had significant infertility issues, and so she prayed and prayed and prayed that God would grant her a son or a child, and God heard her prayers and gave her this son. And in fact, she gave him the name Samuel, which sounds in Hebrew like the expression heard by God. She said, God, you gave me this son. And here's, what here's how his mother describes what happened and, uh, and, and what she did. For Samuel chapter 1, verse 27, it says this. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life, he will be given over to the Lord. She asked the Lord to give, him this, uh, give her this child. Once God gave her this child, she turned around and said, Okay, God, I give him back to you. I dedicate his life to you. Look, if you're a parent or grandparents or godparents or uncles or aunts, somewhere in your life, God has put these children in your life. And it's a gift from God. It's his kindness and his goodness to you. And you, especially as parents and grandparents, but also as uncles and aunts and godparents, I mean, it's, God has made you by far the greatest spiritual influence in the lives of your children. Here's the, here's the first sort of principle we see if we want to develop sort of a, a greenhouse effect for faith for our children, and that's this. Faith starts at home. His mother, Samuel's mother, would have prayed for his son. She would have taught him early to know God and to love his word. And as we'll see, she got him actively involved in a community of faith. Faith would have been, and I mean, it would have been just an important part of their day-to-day -day life about how they thought about the world around them, how they dealt with the problems that they faced, how they used their time, where they spent their money. Faith would have just been a central part of who they were. And the research, again, consistently supports this, this idea. The most influential person in your child's spiritual development and growth is you as a parent. And the second most important is you as grandparents. And close behind that is you as uncle and aunts. If you want to provide a good climate for your children to grow in faith, then you have to live your faith out at home. It just has to be about who you are in your everyday life. Not perfectly. No one lives their faith perfectly. But regularly and actively, both by how you live. I mean, much of faith is caught, but some of it is also taught. And of course... That's not always easy. I mean, I haven't always done that right in my home, in my family, in all the things that I could have done. And of course, again, in, in each case, each person has to make their own decision about following God. We can't make anyone believe anything. 
It's the work of the Spirit in their life. But one of the ways that we can participate in that process, one of the ways that we can, can add to that greenhouse effect is to live our faith actively in our home. And so if you have young children, if you have kids in your world, grandkids, I mean, it's worth spending some time this afternoon, a half hour or an hour of your time, or with your, you know, if you're, if you're married with your spouse to say, are we being intentional about this? Are we living our faith before our kids in a way that they say, oh yeah, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, they love and follow Jesus. What is it that you need to do? Say, oh, maybe we should tweak this. Maybe we should be more intentional about that. Because the first place the faith begins is at home. But that's only part of the combination of factors that make for a greenhouse effect. The second part of that, the second factor, is involvement in the community of faith. You see, Samuel's mother sent her husband, Elkanah was his name, uh, to take Samuel to go and to participate in the temple, to be, to be part of the life of the temple. Here's, uh, here's what it says. It says, this, Then Elkanah, Samuel's father, went home to Ramah, but the boy, Samuel, ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Now look, that, that's pretty radical, right? I mean, they literally took their kid and said, okay, you go live in the temple. Now don't do that here. I mean, don't, don't go home, pack a little suitcase, give your kid a pillow and say, you know, tomorrow morning, ring the bell at the church, ding dong, you know, here you go. Like, it, it won't work here. Not like that. It was a different time, a different culture. But the principle of it remains true today. And that's this. Faith grows within a community of faith. Faith grows when children and youth are actively involved in some sort of community of faith. When their parents make an intentional and a conscious choice to say, this, being part of a church, is important and we want to be involved in it. And these days, that does take a conscious and intentional choice. Because these days there's all kinds of things for your kids to be involved in. Things like sports and, and music and drama and all kinds of different things. And they're good things. Your kids should be involved in those things. They'll learn all kinds of things. They'll develop life skills. You should put your kids in all kinds of those things. But the challenge is that when you do, they demand a certain level of commitment. They say, look, you can't play in the games unless you show up to the practices. You can't sing in the choir unless you come to the rehearsals. Plus, you as a parent forked over all kinds of money. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars for your kids to do that. So you say, we've got this commitment. Of course we're going to do this. But it's not the same when it comes to church. You don't have to send your kids to youth the first night if you want to send them the second night. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to, you know, pay for them to come to church the first Sunday so they can come to church the second Sunday. You, you don't pay in anything, really, for your kids to come. And so it becomes easy for parents to say, these things, sports, drama, music, we are committed to. Being actively part of a community of faith is something that, like, we do on the side. Now, that doesn't mean that, that, that you have to make it a legalistic thing attending church, being part of a church, but you should be intentional and, and very Committed to being involved in the community of faith. And here's why. Because your kid has a phone. And if your kid doesn't have a phone, they soon will have a phone. And if you say, we're not going to give our kid a phone for a long time, don't worry. 
They're still going to see all sorts of stuff. They're just going to use your phone when you want it or your iPad or your TV. And if you say no, they're going to use their friend's phone and their friend's TV and their friend's iPad. And the fact of the matter is for your kids, the whole world is going to come streaming into their life through those screens. And here's the thing for kids in particular, for all of us, but for kids in, in particular, that screen is not simply a form of entertainment. That screen also becomes for them a source of, of education, of instruction. That screen becomes for them a counselor, sometimes a sex educator. And, and what comes through that screen is, uh, uh, I mean, what that screen allows them to do is to ask the hard questions that are awkward to, to have with you or or with a teacher, or with a pastor. I mean, why would they have that kind of an awkward conversation with you, or the pastor, or someone else, if they could just look it up on the screen? No one knows any better. The problem with that, the challenge with that, which we know full well, is this, that the internet is not always the greatest source for wisdom about how to live life. Instant information does not equal true wisdom. It's hard to know what's true and accurate on the internet. It's hard to know where to find good wisdom and advice. Now, of course, the internet is good for information. I wish when I was a kid I had it because every argument that I had with my brother, I could have simply Googled and found out, aha, see, I'm right. But information and wisdom are two different things. Wisdom comes from people that you know and trust that speak into your life. Plus, with the whole world streaming into, into the lives of kids through those screens, there is this growing undercurrent of anxiety in the next generation. Barna Research interviewed 15,000 Gen Zers from 25 different countries. And the number one common denominator that no matter the background, no matter the country that these young people talked about, the number one issue was anxiety. This generation is more connected than any generation in all of history and yet struggles with anxiety more than any other. There's just so much pressure. Pressure about, you know, looking your best and eating right and questions about calling and jobs and finances and the, the, the natural comparison that just happens with social media and ironic worries about mental health and social wellness and, and worries about choosing the right spouse and the right career and the right Anything and the right everything. It's just all this pressure. I mean, Pastor Dan tells me that the, the kinds of questions that our youth are coming to him asking about are the kinds of things that never even dawned on him when he was their age. But it's just coming to them through their screens, through all the information that's available out there. And my wife, she volunteered at camp a couple of weeks ago in the kitchen, but one evening she had the opportunity to just sit quietly on the edge of the campfire as the kids shared. And she said the number one thing that they shared over and over and over again was about anxiety and depression. See, it's just kind of the water that the kids, that our kids swim in in these days. But that means, that means that if you want your kids to make wise decisions, if you want them to find real wisdom for how to live this life, if you want them to not be overwhelmed by all the stuff that's coming in and not by, you know, feel anxiety in all of their worlds. 
then you need to get them connected into a community of people who love them and care for them and speak life and health and hope into their life. Which means that having your kids, which means that it's important to have your kids participating regularly and consistency, consistently in the life of the church, in the life of youth. Because it's vital to their well-being. Because that's where they're going to build the kinds of, of relationships that will allow them to discover a real and a vibrant faith and will allow them to wrestle with the questions that are coming to them from every side and to talk to people that they know and trust and who want the best for them. Listen, you are the most important person. As their parents, you are the most important person in the spiritual development and formation of your kids. But you are kidding yourself if you think that you alone are going to be enough for that. The research shows that the children and youth have a vibrant and growing faith. Of those three quarters report that they have at least one close friend that they can tell, that they can trust their secrets to. And that's not you as a parent. It's okay. They need that person in their life. And they, tell, they report that they have someone in their life other than their family that they can go to for advice on personal issues. They just need someone outside of the family to say, yeah, what your parents saying, that's right. Oh, okay. Maybe they're not so dumb after all, right? And they need a close, and they and they report that they have close personal friends who are adults. You see, they had a multi generational community of people who loved them and cared for them and listened to them and poured their life into them, <clears throat> which sounds an awful like awful lot like the church when the church is doing what it ought to do, doesn't it? When they interviewed young people about why it was that they kept coming to church, why, what it was that they kept them growing in their faith, only 12% of young people talked about the worship on Sunday morning or about the preacher or the pastor or anything like that. The vast majority of young people, the, the, the number one answer for why they stayed involved in church, you know what that was? He said, it feels like family. It feels, it feels like there's a warmth there. They, they felt part of it. And when they said, well, describe your church. What is it you like about it? They used words like welcoming, accepting, belonging, authentic, hospitable, and caring. And the number one phrase that they used over and over and over to describe their church was, it feels like family. It feels like a place where we belong. And by that, they didn't mean just, you know, the adults were nice to us. What they meant is we had real relationships with all kinds of different people within our church, not just people our same age. In fact, a, a, a large number of them wished that they had more connections with people of the older generation. See, sometimes we think, oh, young people are staying in church because of their, their beliefs. But the primary way that there's reason they're staying in church is because of their relationships. And the deeper the relationships that they have, the deeper they're willing to engage in their faith. You, you start with, with belonging, and that leads to faith formation. It, believes, it leads to faith. So, if we want a greenhouse effect for our kids when it comes to faith, what does that mean? What are the implications? Well, parents, it means that this fall, as you're, you know, walking with your kids about what they're going to do and how they're going to do it, that you need to intentionally 
and consciously choose to help your kids be actively involved in a community of faith here at this church or at some church. And that might mean saying, instead of doing three practices a week, we're only going to do two, so that on Wednesday nights you can be here at youth, or whatever that is. And for us as a church, it means that we need to be intentional about engaging the next generation, about building real relationships with all kinds of people, uh, with all kinds of youth, in whatever places God opens the door. So that means in the lobby, when you're, when you're talking to your buddy, and he's talking to you, and, and his kids are kind of standing there waiting, saying, like, come on, Dad, let's go home. And you're talking. You should involve them in the conversation. You should get to know their kids. You should invest in them. Fathers, that means that if you're going to go out with your, with your, your buddy, you should say, hey, we should, take the, we should invite the kids along. And when you do, you know, invest in your kids, but begin to get to know your buddy's kids. And him to do that in your kid's life so that you begin to build the kind of relationships that over time allow your buddy to speak into your own kid's life. And for you, do the same for his kids. Mothers, you should invite the, the, your, your, your kid's friends over. Same thing. Build those relationships. Do it in a way that doesn't weird them out. Like, you know, kind of easy and over time. But we should be investing in those kinds of relationships. You know, when I was a teenager... There was a lady in my church. Man, she seemed so old to me. She must have been in her 30s, but I thought, man, she's an older lady. Uh, now, now not so old. Uh, but you know what? Her name was Debbie Peoples. And Debbie, Debbie was interested in my life. She just cared about what was happening for me. And, and I was just stunned that an older person in the church was, like, interested. It was like, oh, that's cool. And she would say to me regularly, she'd say, Jonathan, I'm praying for you. Jonathan, I'm praying for you. And it blew me away that this lady would be praying for me. I mean, I'm just a teenage kid, not quite sure which way I'm going and what's happening. And here's an older lady in my life praying for me. The research shows that most kids who thrive in their faith have something like about five close friends in their life. And not just friends their age. Friends their age, their parents, others, and of course, other adults in their life. That's speaking into their, their life. Look, if I were to ask you, who of the next generation, who, who of the young people, the young adults, the kids around here, besides your own, besides your own kids or your own grandkids, who else do you have a growing relationship with? Who else are you interested in their life and beginning to invest in them? Who, who would be on that list? Do you have someone? If not, you should pray and say, God, help me. Because you're part of this process. This is a community thing that we're involved in so that the next generation comes to know the life and the hope that we have because of Jesus. Faith starts at home. It starts at home, but it grows in the context of a community of faith. It's the, the second part of that. But there's a third part to a, a growing, flourishing faith, and that's this. Faith flourishes through action. Here's what it says about Samuel. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under, under Eli. Eli was the, the, the chief priest. Now that is a great line, isn't it? It does not say the boy Samuel sat off to the side and watched while Eli did all the ministry. It does not say they told Eli to go and play until he was 18 and then he should come back and they might give him something little to do. 
It does not say that they gave Eli a bunch of busy work to do so that he'd be out of the way so that they could do the real work of ministry. No, no, here's the line again. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. He wasn't given the keys to the whole temple. He wasn't made in charge of the whole thing. But he ministered at the level that he was at before the Lord. What he did mattered in the sight of God. It was valuable and important and contributed to what God was doing. If we want to design a greenhouse for spiritual growth for the next generation, then we need to give them real opportunities to serve in very real ways in what God is doing in their world. I mean, young people, they don't want to just fill space. They they, they don't want to just be saved so that someday they can be in heaven. They want to be saved so they can serve God here and now. Put to work, involved in, in ministry, doing things. Again, I remember when I was a teenager, I remember one day listening and some of the older ladies just talked about how they longed for the Lord to return. How they would be so excited if he returned the next day. And I remember standing there as a teenager nodding, saying, oh, but inside, I was like, no, I don't want Jesus to come back tomorrow. I got things I want to do. I want to, I want to build a career. I, I think that I can serve in the kingdom of God. Heck, I want to get married and have sex before Jesus comes back. Like, I got things that I want to do. Youth want to be challenged. They need to be challenged, even if it makes them uncomfortable, because there's this call to action. It says, yes, let's do this thing. You know, one night... When Samuel's just a boy, he's lying in his bed and he hears this voice. Samuel, Samuel. And he jumps out of bed. He goes and he says, Eli, what is it? And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. It happens two more times until Eli catches on. And he says, look, Samuel, if it happens again, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So that's what Samuel does. And God comes to, to Samuel. And you know what he tells this boy? He says, he tells him all of the punishment and the wrath that he is going to pour out on Eli's family because his sons were so wicked, even though they were priests. And so in the morning when Samuel gets up, he does not want to see Eli because he doesn't want to tell him the things that God told him that would happen to Eli's family. But Eli hunts down Samuel. And this is what he says to him. He says, what was it that he, that God said to you? Eli asked do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his, own eye, in his eyes. Look, for Samuel, that would have been hard. To tell Eli, this is what God is going to do and punish your family. That would have been difficult. And yet he did it and God used it to speak into the life of the chief priest of all of Israel. God wants to work through the lives of young people in all kinds of ways, which means we need to continue to invite and challenge them to follow after him. In his research on what makes young people resilient followers of Jesus, David Kinnaman writes this. The church is one of the least demanding environments for young people in terms of what they were asked to do mentally and emotionally and what is expected of them when it comes to serving and giving. We're just so happy to have them there. Yet one of the most hopeful things in our research is this. Young, exemplar Christians are more willing to be challenged than the church is willing to challenge them. This means they expect to be asked to do more, but in reality experience a faith community that doesn't ask all that much of them. 
David has a missionary friend who said he receives the most keen interest in joining their missions organization, not when he promises the good life or talks about the cool places they might live, but when he tells them that the mission field will require everything of them, perhaps their lives. Faith flourishes when we call the next generation to, to, to action. Now, it's not always easy to know what that looks like and how to do it. And of course, it has to be age appropriate. But if we want faith in our children and our youth to grow, we need to continue to find places to call them into action. Which means that, that when your kids come to Ridge Kids or when they come to youth, we don't see that as just babysitting. We never think of it like, hey, just send your kids down on a Sunday morning. We'll just keep them quiet so that you can totally learn. When they come to youth on Wednesday night, it's not just, oh, well, one night when they're off their screens and when they're with some friends and, and they're out of trouble. No, no, no. When you send your kids to us, we want to teach them to hear the voice of God, to understand what he's calling them to do, and then challenge them to go and do it. And we continually work to make that happen, to, make, to be better at that. And so one of the things that we're doing is this fall we're introducing a new curriculum for our Ridge Kids, for our Sunday morning children's ministry, meaning that it will be more age-specific, which is helpful so that, so that some of the older kids aren't bored if the lessons are too focused for the younger kids. We want to engage all of the kids at whatever stage they're at. It's also going to be more uh, small group focused, which is a high value. We want them to develop those friendships and those relationships, and that happens good uh, or well in a group setting. It's going to provide more resources for you as parents and grandparents so you can come alongside afterwards at home and say, oh, you've been learning this? Okay, let's talk about this stuff together. It's going to allow us to accommodate the continued growth that is happening around this place when it comes to our children's ministry. And it continues to grow. We continue to look for, for people who say, I'm going to invest in the next generation. And one of the ways that I do that is through serving in our children's ministry once a month. And... It's going to be even more Bible-centered than what we've been doing. The same in our youth ministry. We continue to look for ways to challenge and to call our youth and our children to, to step out. And you too, as parents, as adults in their lives, you should look for ways to call them to live out their faith, to do something hard, to, to take risks, to trust that Jesus will work in their life as they do that. It will supercharge their faith, and it will flourish as they do that. Here's the conclusion about Samuel's youth and his growing up years. It says this, And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. And then it says this, And the Lord was with Samuel as he grew, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his words. Listen. Only God can change someone's heart. Only God can, can, can draw somebody ultimately to give their life to him. And that person has to make the choice on their own. And so as we talk about this today, I mean, it can sound like, oh, if you didn't do this in your kid's life, then you should. No, no, no. I know, again, in my own life, we have not done all of these things well or right. That doesn't mean that as we go forward, we shouldn't seek to, to be a community that is that kind of place of warmth and welcoming. That we shouldn't, as parents and grandparents, continue to look for ways to live our faith out before our children. 
and that we should, as a church, as the people of God, continue to challenge and to spur on and to cheer on the next generation as they step out and are obedient to faith in Christ. The greenhouse effect is this. Faith starts at home, it grows in a community, and it flourishes when we call our youth to action. And each of us has a part to play in that. What part is it that God's calling you? That's the question today. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the, for the next generation. We thank you for their energy and their enthusiasm and their creativity and their willingness to, to step out and to, and to lean in. Oh God, would you help us as those who have gone before them to be examples, to invest, to build the kind of relationships that allow us to speak into their life with ease and with joy. Father, so that they would find you. God, so that they would find their hope in you, so that they would know in this world with a million different pressures and a million different voices that they can, they can find their peace and their joy and their happiness and their life in you. So Lord, help us as a community, help us as parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts uh, to be faithful uh, in our responsibility to the next generation. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. May God bless you as you go into this fall season uh, with school starting and so many other things. May it just be a joyous, a great season for you. Let me send you out again with this blessing from uh, the book of Numbers. Lord, bless you and keep you. The Lord, turn his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.